Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Friends, I'm recording this before I leave for Origins, but since you'll be hearing it after I get back, I'm just going to make a pretty safe assumption and say I had a wonderful time, and I was happy to see friends new and old, and I'm glowing with gratefulness to everyone who came out to the booth and said hello. I have a lovely chat for you today. Ben Chong, aka Swords and Flowers, is here to tell me about Pride Games, role-playing in Southeast Asia, and the sword dream, which I still don't understand, but now I'm like really cool with not understanding it. Let's just jump right in. It's like just get over here and just do it. Like just mess me up. Stop going halfway. Yeah, right, right. Like, right, like just, just, just punch me. Just stop everything. <laughs> yes. like, like, there's like if if you have a really bad cold for like a day or two, that's fine. I'm completely fine with that. But if it stays, as the worst. Like it just drags. Yeah, it's just lingering and like it's like, uh, yeah. Let me return yeah, to like, life. It's it's not even like you're not even sick. It's just like you're you're crippled just slightly <laughs> by how stuffy you feel. It's like. Can you just get this over? Why are you here? <laughs> like, there's no headaches, there's no fevers, it's just a cold. It's just like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, man, I can't even call in sick to work. What is the point of this? Mm, right, yeah. Anyways, backstory cast, anatomy of a cold. Oh, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the uh, <laughs> welcome to the health cast. We talk about our health. No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in, in what's up and what's uh, what's been happening with you. Yeah, how are things? How's life right now? Uh, you know, other than the cold, uh, pretty busy actually. So over here in Malaysia right now, it's uh, we call it Raya Break, essentially uh, Eid. Uh, over there, I think it's called it's called Eid globally. Yeah, Eid and uh, Idul Fitri. So uh, Ramadan just finished. Everyone just finished up their Raya Break, which is when they kind of just take a break, go back home, visit their hometown, and come back. Especially if you're Muslim. Uh, and yeah, it's just ending. It's actually, it's Monday here right now. So I am technically, if I am technically supposed to be at work, but, uh, this semester I only work Tuesdays to Thursdays. So this is very good timing. Yeah. So I'm going back to classes tomorrow. Oh, nice. That's awesome. I, I am so interested in what it's like for you teaching at KDU, um, and lecturing. I, my, my assumption is that it's a, a game development program, um, that, probably largely focuses on digital gaming yeah uh it is actually so uh we call it bachelors in game development with honors uh i might be wrong am i wrong no i'm not wrong yeah that is what it's called bachelors in game development uh with honors uh it started out i think it uh if i correctly it started out very purposefully aimed towards video game development or digital games development and uh we separate the the course into three streams which are design uh art and tech. So art and tech is pretty straightforward. Art, you go in there to learn art, concept art, art, uh, backgrounds, how to do, you know, the entire process for art in general. Uh, and then for technology, we have uh, programming, coding, etc. And design, which is where, uh, which is the discipline I kind of like teach for, uh, is where we teach things like paperwork, document, documentation, a lot, a lot of documentation, uh, and a lot of ideation on how to, you know, push certain things like narrative design, 
uh, how can you do games writing, uh, how can you do uh, what we call a game design treatment. And uh, for me personally, the subject I'm hitting this semester for the first time, it's uh, game work creation, where we learn how to do uh, world building and we learn how to uh, write compelling settings, uh, both big and small uh, for your games. Teaching there has been has been it's been it's been a wild experience honestly for me because uh, I honestly did not expect expect to be here. Like if you asked me like two years ago, it's like oh like where are you gonna work at? Like do you think you end up at KDU teaching games? I'd just be like nah, that's ridiculous because I only do tabletop games and they do and they do video games. You know like I I don't, I don't see myself being there. Uh, but yeah, I went I went in because uh, I got an interview. Uh, because I've actually been working with Katie quite some time. So they called me in and they were like, hey, we have an opening. Uh, someone just left and we'd like you to fill in the gap. And we heard you have tabletop game experience. And it seems like it might fit in with some of the subjects. So we're going to bring you in. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm not going to say no. I, I get to do game stuff. I get paid for it. Sure, that's great. It's, it's just been wild. Yeah. So... So you are the analog games person in a digital gaming context. I mean, are they really are they really eager for you to bring in that knowledge? Are are people looking to learn analog game design, or are they just looking for the principles that you have or unique perspective? I I think I mean I'm I'm gonna hype myself up a lot regardless. I think I'm biased. Uh, yeah. Uh, but honestly, the the initial premise of uh, bringing me in the interview was that they wanted uh they wanted a person with a different perspective because they've been doing video games for a long time, and analog games does have a role within the course, which is uh it comes in quite a lot actually. But on for example, the first semester when you're doing fundamentals of game design, uh. Because we haven't, because this is fundamentals and fundamentals of game design is parked uh, in the first semester along with fundamentals in game tech and fundamentals in game development. They're they're uh, slowly learning the processes of understanding the industry and development, uh, understanding how coding and programming can be done in tech. Because all disciplines need to understand how the programming interacts with everything else. Uh, and design is where they kind of learn the uh, theories and the principles of how you make a game and like what goes into a game. So, you know... Uh, when a person looks at a board game, they're going to be like, oh yeah, it's a board game. There's uh, money and Monopoly. There's your player pieces. You get to move around and you win, right? Uh, when you go into uh, fundamentals in game design, we break it down. We say, these are, you know, the principles of what you see within the game. And you can you can very easily identify the things that go into a game. This is how you would break down a mechanic and, you know, explain it to somebody very clearly uh, to people. And... In game design, the best way to do that, especially when you have new students, because this is surprising to people I, every time I say it, but a good amount of students actually uh, come in not having any experience with video games. Really? Yeah, it's it's quite, it's it's surprising, but also not really when you think about it, because, you know, plenty of artists, they started art not knowing how to do art. Plenty of programmers entered coding courses not having touched a coding program ever before. It's just an extra thing that helps. So the same thing goes with game design, right? Like some of them have never played video games. Some of them have never played board games. It's the same thing. And uh, because of that kind of like lack of familiarity, we start with board games because it's just a lot more approachable. It's a lot more uh, easy to interact with. And also the cool thing about board games, the cool thing about analog games in general is that uh, with video games, you can have graphics and really high fidelity, you know, programming to back you up. You know what I mean? Like you could have a terrible game idea but it could still look really good and can still play really well. Uh, 
Yeah, but with a board game, everything you have relies on your design and your and how well you put in mechanics, how well it all interacts. So when we do fundamentals in game design, we show them board games, and uh, they've been doing it for years. And that's sort of like when I came in, that was sort of the thing they wanted to kind of like push that further. Uh, so my role is that I kind of push in my experience and I sort of bring in like a new perspective uh, with my experience with tabletop games. So. I'll, uh, the fundamentals game design when we do uh, uh, board games uh, their final assignment for their first semester is that they have to produce a fully fledged board game and I am sort of there to overlook over things uh, yeah like even with game world creation uh, it used to be a lot more digitally centered uh, but now that uh, I'm in there the way it's running it's that uh, I'm kind of using my experience with world building and the, and the kind of like works I've done uh, in my past as a DM as well as commission works uh, I kind of teach them that world building goes beyond video games. Uh, it can go into lots of different IPs and in the development industry, especially today, when you're doing things like world building, it goes beyond just your game. It can go into multimedia. So you need to like look in the long term, like, oh, like, cool. Like, how can my game world be applied in a book context, in a movie context? Because lots of people want to buy a successful IP and turn it into something else. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. I hadn't thought about... Because we do so much world building at the table. Like, sometimes that's literally the whole game. It's just like, let's sit around and make a world. And I kind of completely forgot that that is, to some people, producing something of value. You're you're creating something. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's a huge task. And uh, I was surprised as well, because when I started teaching game, uh, game work creation... Uh, when you're confronted, uh, I think I feel like one of the best ways when you're confronted with how much work you do for a thing is when you have to teach it, uh, and and you and like you're forced to put all your knowledge out there. Like, uh, you know, we can all be we can all say like, yeah, English is easy to teach, right? It's so easy. And then when you really get down to it, and um, you teach some you teach somebody English, and you're like, oh, like, yeah, there are chapters to this. I forgot. There's like you know verbs, nouns pronunciations, how you even write the letter has its own individual chapters and its own individual year of training. Um, so it's the same thing with game creation. I think it's it really, really, uh, like for me personally, it's uh, been a personal journey of like showing me how much I need to teach. But also, yeah, like we do, like by default, if you're, if you're like a dungeon master or a game master or even a person who just writes very casually, you are actually exerting a lot of effort and like you just don't realize it, but it's a lot of effort to create a compelling world. Uh, like uh, my students, uh, because it's an elective, they come in wanting to learn how to make a world for various reasons. A lot of them want to, you know, do better storytelling. A lot of them want to understand the logistics that go into it. Uh, and when they really learn it, they're confronted by some really surprising things because they think it's more of a uh, story writing course. But there are a lot of logistics that go into it. Uh, we, we literally start, uh, we don't start just by making the world. The, the first week is dedicated, the first class is dedicated to just introducing game worlds and talking to them about how the industry, especially video games, how they treat uh, the game world design phase of their games and what it means if you have a bigger or smaller world. Uh, like Assassin's Creed Odyssey is kind of, kind of famous for this because they were in GDC and talking about their teams. They had... If I remember correctly, they had around 40 designers just to make the world. 40 designers. And they traveled all the way to... I might get this wrong. I think they traveled all the way to uh, Greece, if I remember correctly, just to get all the details they could. They took millions of pictures. They formed a website. 
And when you tell this to、uh, the students, they're very surprised that there's a whole industry,、uh, an entire role that's dedicated to these things, right? An entire team that's called the game world team or like the world designer. They're very surprised by it. Yeah, it it is something you kind of take for granted, and it's something that I would have a hard time breaking down into a process. I mean, what are what are the elements of world building? So I've I've taught world building a lot in my time.、Uh, for the game world creation course specifically,、uh, because we have we have about twelve weeks right uh, to divide uh, and teach everything at once. I break it down into an introductory phase where I basically tell them, "Here's you know what the game world can be, and here's what the process is." And I'm very open about.、It. I'll just I I basically tell them this straight up from the very first thing. What I'm here to teach you isn't to give you a perfect format to make a world because there's no such thing. We we literally work in an industry,、uh, game development, where、uh, formats can be great and they can do so much for you and they can help you do documentations and they streamline communication. Sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, you are always going to be working、uh, on the seat on the on the seat of your pants. I can't. What is the metaphor? <laughs> Fly, flying by the by seat the, of your pants. Yeah. Yeah, flying flying by the seat of your pants. Like you're you're basically going to be flying blind a lot of time, and you have to understand how to navigate the darkness. You know, without a parachute and still survive.、Uh, the point the point of it is to help them realize,、uh, you know, how much effort goes into it.、Uh, what are some of the key elements they can sort of rely on? Uh, so like when they're stuck in a room of designers and they have to give a, give an idea, they will be like, oh yeah, like we're on track, we know where we are.、Uh, so the twelve weeks is essentially、uh, introductory phases. We talk, I talk to them about the industry,、uh, how it really works with the process, how it、uh, kind of like integrates with the rest of game development,、uh, where it can come in with game world design. When do you do game world design in a game?、Uh, where can you do game world design beyond just video games?、Uh, places like Magic the Gathering. Where the process is that they take, I think, two weeks is all they have to make a concise、uh, game world guide, and from that game world guide, they have to be able to draw like hundreds of cards, and they do that around twice a year, which is pretty, which is it's it's wild. And then I teach them the specific elements, so we go through things like environments, populace,、uh, city building, culture, and then at the very end of it, once we're done with all the experiences, the goal is for them to build a. Game world guide of their own that they can pitch and they can show the people with storyboards, and you know just show them what it looks like、uh, to be judged by a kind of like、uh, outside table of peers, most likely lecturers.、Uh, and the the final two weeks are dedicated to making that game world guide and making it better. And we call it a、uh, game world experience or a game a game world experience or game experience, where it's essentially cool. You made a game world that's that's sweet and all. But how does it actually feel, and how do you actually know if it's a good game world? Is it even compelling? Yeah, that's sort of the, that's sort of the part where the students like sort of panic because they're like, "Oh my god, is my game world actually nice?" Because I spent a lot of effort on this, and I might be I might be biased because I put a lot of effort into it. Is it actually nice? Oh no!、Uh, but yeah, that's sort of the process they have to go through. It's it's always interesting to me to put people in a situation where they kind of have to come up with something. You know whether that's a you know a really tight game jam or、um, or in a learning context. What I, what are some of the things that your students are coming up with? I mean, you must see so much stuff that you're like, I would never have thought of that. Yeah, they they. I think I think I think.、Uh, so we do a lot of we. I use a lot of role playing games inside my curriculum because it's just a lot more easier. And、uh, video games again, video games are very hard to you know play very heavily. So role playing games can force them to come up with things on the fly. I think like just just、uh, last week, right before Raya break, our 
third lesson where we were learning about environments. So we learned about ecosystems, living beings, and how you know you can create a compelling environment. And the end, every, at, at the end of every lesson, every single week, I basically tell them, "Cool, I've taught you all this. So now I'm gonna teach you the part where all of this doesn't apply." Like, cool, like yeah, sure. Like environments consist of ecosystems, living beings. Uh, architecture, infrastructure, ecosystems, blah, blah, blah. Great, right? It, it works, right? There's resources and there's the ecosystem cycle where plant gets eaten by cow, cow gets eaten by lion, lion dies and, you know, reverses into the earth, whatever. Uh, at the end of the lesson, I'll uh, basically challenge them and tell them, cool, that's the process, but here's what happens when you really challenge it. I'll tell them, you know, like, do you, like, in, in, a, in an ecosystem that's fully urban, like an urban city, do you think you could apply the same ecosystems? Like, what is the food in an urban city where there's no plants? Uh, are humans part of the ecosystem, uh, part of the ecosystem wheel? Like, how long does it take for a human to die? Is it, like, do you consider that to be part of the fertilizer in the soil? Because we bury our dead. Uh, and then I, I'll ask them things like, cool, like, yeah, like, you know, the highway of an ecosystem, especially in the forest, uh, is the canopy levels and how they, you know, uh, can kind of like, uh, put into stratas where the animals live and what they do to the environment and I'll ask them so do you think the same thing could apply into an urban city do you think different floors will have different things happening do you think that uh, if we if we consider an anthill to be an ecosystem do you consider monorail line to be an ecosystem things like that and they get challenged by it very very quickly and they have to they like on the spot I'll just I'll just immediately say it's a yes or no question you have five seconds to answer this right now and uh it's, there's no right or wrong. There's a discussion. I'm not here to challenge you. I'm here to pose you questions the moment you say yes or no. And uh, something will say, yes, cool. The monorail line is an ecosystem. I'll say, why do you think it's an ecosystem? Uh, and the point of it is, the biggest point of it is that the moment they enter the industry, and this is a big, big, big thing they need to realize, the moment they enter the industry, they're going to be inside the same room, like one big room with potentially 10 to 40 to 100 designers where all they have on their hands is a phone, uh, maybe a few Sharpie markers and like a whole a whole sticky pad, a sticky notepad. And they have to be able to churn out ideas like on the fly. And hesitating does not help you. That, like the, like if, if there's any moment where you're like, oh, cool, I have an answer. Is it a good answer? Uh, if they ask themselves the second question, they're never going to be able to come up with any good answers because... The point isn't to give the perfect answer. The point is to give as many answers as possible that ideas that you have and then share with the people around you, your team, and then have them go like, oh, like I like this, I don't like that, and why? Role-playing games really help them with that. So last week we played uh, Takuma Okada's uh, Alone Among the Stars, which is sort of like a space-faring, space-siding game uh, using cards and dice. And the point is that uh, for every card you draw and the amount of cards you draw, you enter a new star system or a new space system. And you have to, uh, depending on the rank and suit of the card you draw, you have to say things like, cool, the rank and suit indicates to me that it is a living, uh, it is an inanimate object, uh, like ruins and whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. And uh, there's a prompt. Uh, I've, uh, there's a prompt saying things like, oh, it's, uh, it's in the fields, uh, it's near a volcano, it's in, uh, it's in a blizzard environment. And when you roll the dice, it tells you things like, yeah, you saw it while you were resting, when you came upon it suddenly, or you come upon it after a lot of arduous effort. So it gives them very bare details, but it immediately forces them to have to answer. And it's a great game for world building. And they, 
it's sort of like uh, because we were talking a lot of technicalities before this. We were talking about like you know how the dynamics of the ecosystem work when they when they had to cover with on the fly. They came up very naturally, and uh, the lesson the the whole deal was that I told them it's like yeah like you know formats are cool. They're great to have in your brain. They definitely helped you. It was in your library when you were drawing out the ideas. But when you're in a room and you have five seconds to pitch something, you better pitch it fast, and you have to be able to understand what the environment is like. So,、uh, role playing games help a lot with that because we have to improvise so much in role playing games, and it's honestly a skill that's very rare if you really think about it. Yeah, it's not something you get to practice very often. Is like tossing something out there. Without stressing about whether it's like the right option, I don't know. Do 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 you find that role playing and and you know story based games are helping them develop that skill or or get them used to doing that?、Um, do do you find it's an, the actually the game itself is just kind of intimidating for some students? I mean, I ho- I hope it's helping them because it's part of my curriculum.、Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if not, I'll be all of a job.、Uh, no, it's it's definitely helping them. I I like you can definitely tell that by the end of the course they're a lot more better at、uh, coming up with ideas and the in their game world guide theory.、Uh, even even on the first in on the second week, their first task is that、uh, they, so we don't start with systems yet. We start with themes and settings of a game world. Uh, and I have to explain them, you know, like what's a genre, what's a theme, what's a setting, what are what's an MDA, the mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics framework, all these kind of things, very very technical. But their first assignment is that they have to write an essay on、uh, explain to me what is the theme and the setting of、uh, first your favorite game and second your favorite movie. What is the theme and setting of the game world of your favorite game and movie? And it really pushes them to.、Uh, Have to understand how to explain the things they love,、uh, especially the game worlds they love, right? Because、uh, we like I could I could wax really hard and lyrical about why I love Keanu Reeves in say John Wick. It's amazing. Like he's just God. He's so amazing. Keanu Reeves. If you're listening to this in the future, oh my God, I love you so much. Honestly, God, <laughs> just, just Keanu Reeves, man. Just Keanu Reeves. God. Hmm.、Uh, Uh, but like, if if you had to explain to people, if I had to explain to people why I love, say, the setting of、uh, John Wick, it's a very big difference in answer because you can't talk about John Wick anymore because John Wick is sure he's interacting with the world, but the world of John Wick is so lively by itself. It's an underworld assassin kind of like conspiracy, and they, they and when I pose these questions, then they have to like they're forced to answer it, right?、Uh, and it definitely helps. It definitely definitely helps them because. Uh, role playing games—they put you in a context where you are constantly aware of the things you're creating, but you're also you—you you also have to you also have to just like just be like you know what it's okay to just express an idea, just move on, right? Like I will I like I will I will get feedback later for this, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with just expressing right now and get the feedback later. It's so important to be able to have that skill. Because if you keep on doubting yourself again, if you keep on doubting yourself inside a room, you will never have a single idea to talk about.、Uh, it's important because, especially in Asia, where we we are kind of fed through an education system where we're very we are very STEM focused. Our government over here really loves sponsoring、uh, the STEM side of things,、uh, and our art side,、uh, like many other countries,、uh, our art our arts are very defunded as a result, and they don't really get a lot of attention. Uh, the best thing you can get in school that is very arts focused, I think, is just arts. That's it. You you learn three years of arts in your secondary school, and you paint. That's it.、Uh, 
yeah, you, you just paint. You don't really think about the process of what it's like to create things. Blah, yada yada yada. Uh, drama clubs don't really get that much funding because you know what kind of equipment would the drama club need, right? It's not like they need props. Like just make it yourself, man. Uh, while while you look at science clubs and they get like freaking microscopes and thermometers and they have a budget list, yeah. Uh, and so when they come to college and university, uh, role-playing games can help a lot, especially with game development students, because uh, it pushes them to this kind of stage where they say, cool, I might not be confident. I might not have the right answer. I might not even be as smart as the people in the room, right? I've been inferior to complex. Uh, you know, all my flaws are here laid out. And at the end of the day, though, when they have role-playing games, what it teaches them is that it doesn't matter what my flaws are because I'm still a human and I still have ideas that nobody else can come up with because I have my own, you know, library of experiences and, you know, visual things I absorb. Like there are things that nobody else knows here. Even if I don't play games, I can still give great ideas. Uh, and yeah, and like, yeah, like, like it is, it is, it is just a huge process of valid. Like I, I, like I, like I honestly say this a lot about my teaching, which is that teaching is just a huge process of undoing really bad habits and just feeding people off validation reassurances that they are a functioning member of society you know like it is it is so rare to come by that kind of teaching in lower education not lower education but like early education like the idea that you're you know given a lot of assurances and a lot of validation it cuts off uh like not even a kindergarten it cuts off at primary school because some people here don't go to kindergarten it cuts off at primary school really quickly because you're fed into this uh, place where it's like yeah like just follow the system finish the damn homework i don't care what you think i don't care what you think i don't care how you feel i don't care about your ideas just finish your math homework and give me the right answers and i'm okay with that so when it comes to university they're there's they're always in that mindset where they're like Oh, is you know, is is the lecturer gonna is the lecturer you know like does the lect is the lecturer expecting a correct answer from me, and if I give the wrong answer, what are the consequences, right? Which is ridiculous because university lecturers are like the last people who want to start a scene in a classroom. Yeah, like do not have the energy. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the energy. We are not here for that. We we are literally just here to be like, come on, guys, just talk to me. I beg. You. I'm so lonely in front of the class. Just talk to me. I beg of you. <laughs> Say something. Yeah, like like say something so I can compliment on you for saying something. Like it is the easiest bar to meet, literally. Uh, yeah, but you know, like yeah, like you, you can't blame them. You know, they consolidated so much, so much of those bad habits from early education, and it's yeah, like it's a lot of undoing it, feeding them validation, giving them reassurances that like yes, it doesn't matter how little experience you have because your experience is still damn rich. Yes. Yeah. If you are a human who has existed in this world, you've got stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You just need to learn how to like get in touch with it. Right. Like you, you, like you could have not ever watched a single movie, could have never watched, uh, you know, played a single game. We are so, we are like, we're so latched onto the idea that we need to consume uh, specific things to be able to provide things, you know? Like yeah, I, I had never thought about that, actually, the connection um, between, like, consumerism and, like, obviously you have to be consuming the maximum amount of things and your ability to, like, ingest. And that's an, that's an interesting perspective. Something that I'm immediately wondering now is, wh like, when I'm looking at your games, are you are you trying to do for players what you're doing for your students? This just, this invitation to contribute and say, and and offering... Hey, thanks. Thanks for the contribution. 
Um, so when people ask me about my creative process with uh, role playing games, this happened as well on uh, like previously when I did podcast with uh, Asians represents. Uh, shout out to Danny H. Kwan, who's a really cool guy. Yeah, it's oh for real, and that's a it's a very good episode. I totally encourage everyone to to listen to it. I'll put I'll put all link to it. Shout outs, shout outs, just just <laughs> plug the link in. Yeah. Uh, he asked me what was my process of creating games. And I came up with ideas, and honestly, uh, I I remember saying that. One of the most powerful things that people don't realize I enjoy in a role playing game is that I just get to make people do the things they wouldn't normally do. So like sandwich sandwich county literally just involves people making sandwiches. I'm just like, hey, hey, hey yes, you're gonna make a sandwich and you're gonna be you're gonna think it's really fun, but I'm just gonna be here like, hey, hey, you made a sandwich for a game, ha? Huh? You know, it's it's just really silly, right? Uh, but I I think you do raise a good point. Like a part of my observe my own processes, I realize that it's because of my kind of like my RPG upbringing, I guess, because I got exposed to some very early influences by people like Stephen Lumpkin, Adam Koble, and uh, Tung Kai Po, who is uh, here in Malaysia. He exposed me to a lot of indie games. I, th- I thank him a lot for influences. Uh, give me a moment. <clears throat> uh, I thank him a lot for like influencing me with indie games. Uh, a good chunk of it is that in all the games I spotted, I really liked uh, PBTA, especially... Uh, as well as Avery Alder. Avery's Alder's games are so freaking, just so beautiful. They they all had this common line I really like, which is that there is this line of cooperation rather than antagonism between players and the facilitator, where it's like, hi, like, please come in, sit down in a circle, and let's make a story together. Rather than, hi, please come in and show me why your character is the best among the five chosen in this death arena, you know? Like, the letter is a the letter is a very, very valid sort of storytelling. I like it as well. You know, I like being a barbarian fighter and, you know, conquering and being the best out of the team. It's great. It's a great feeling. But there's a difference, like, even in the letter story, there's a difference between a team that, uh, you know, like, wants to spotlight each other and be like, oh my god, yes, that betrayal was so good, I love that moment, versus like, ah, yes, I will betray you and not tell any of the team that this is a storyline I want. Uh, therefore, when it doesn't happen, I will be very angry and seething and not communicate why I'm angry. Uh, yeah, like I, like, I think that flows into all the games I make, sort of, where uh, I really like making games that's like, yeah, everybody gets to do a thing. Uh, I realize in Hello World, everybody's a robot. In Magic Swords, everybody's a sword. Even even the facilitator gets to, you know, control the dungeon. Not control the dungeon, but like be a character because you have to play the warden. Uh, what else is there? Like Sandwich County is a solo game where you make sandwiches, so you're involved already. Uh, they Won't Go When I Go has no facilitator, has a facilitator sort of, but everybody plays a visitor. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think honestly when I observe it, like, yeah, I really like games where everybody gets to kind of like you know talk to each other uh spotlight each other and validate each other's efforts because we we, we live in such a tough world like the last thing i want to do is like make a game where you're when you insult each other uh <coughs> cards against humanity yeah <laughs> yeah right like like we i don't i don't think i don't think we i think it's honestly not a great ideal to have to have games where you are forced to fight each other like i like i've made games before where uh you are like i love making games where you're forced to confront conversations you normally don't have so even arguments are great for a game but i want it to be constructive and you know aware and mindful i rather have that uh 
you know, because because if you argue in a game and there's like no process to break it down and like receive closure from it and learn from it, like what's the point? Uh, you might as well go and argue in real life with your current communication problems, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. You want to, even if you're giving people a challenging experience or an uncomfortable experience, you want that to come to some kind of conclusion. Yeah, like like it needs to be consolidated uh, is probably the best word. It needs to be absorbed and, you know, kind of like reiterated in the brain to like a more positive experience because like I can't, I like I'll be very honest, I can't see any other way to go around this with a game. Like what is the point of making a game where you don't learn, honestly? Yeah. Yeah, good point. I'm I'm gonna put that quote on the on the box. Oh heck yeah, <laughs> a pull quote. That's great. <laughs> um let's talk about learning actually, uh, because you made a game you made a little collection of games called Together Apart. And uh, I don't know, I, you know, I know a lot of gay games. I've played a lot of gay, gay games. I've made some, I would say. But I, I don't know, for some reason, you know, you released this this month and uh, on Twitter, and it feels like specifically a pride game. I don't know why. Is this something that that you were thinking about? Is like, it's pride, it's time to make a pride game, or or am I just projecting something? I don't. Pe- I don't think people. I I know my Twitter is very vocal and very loud, and I I'm very positive over there. Uh, and I guess I am in person. I guess I hope so. Uh, uh, I but I don't think people. Uh, then Hcon asked the same thing actually, like on how I keep on my Twitter because I tweet a lot. Uh, I don't think people realize that there are you know machinations and systems and formats in my brain for how I tweet. Like, uh, I will. I will. You know, it's it's not like I'm trying to manipulate people. That's far from it. But it's like I will keep track of like what I should be talking about uh, sometimes, and I'll keep track of like, oh, here's an interesting topic. I'll you know plan to talk about this week. Uh, you know, follow Fridays. RPG SEA, Sword Dream, especially that came out recently. I know we're gonna talk about it later. Uh, so, so Pride Month when it came out uh, on for for June, I also actually forgot that June was Pride Month. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> also, I'm in Southeast Asia where Pride Month is not a thing. Honestly, it's it's not a thing that comes up a lot because it's it's uh it's honestly uh because its historical roots uh came from America. Uh, with the Stonewall right, so it's it's a little bit distanced, and it's very curious to explore that kind of relationship. So when Pride Month was coming up, my brain kept on tossing and turning and going. I sort of want to, I really want to release a Pride Month game because what other game could you release on Pride Month, right? Like there's, there's really no other, not choice, but like there's no other point. I kind of want to like do something that's worth it. So let's make a Pride Month game. Uh, and I initially had this idea of like, uh, it was from another tweet. It was a game about. It was gonna be a game about. Uh, how comic book artists schedule superheroes and supervillains to fight each other, uh, depending on whether they were available for you know the release cover and the plot lines. It was really interesting as a as a as a sort of like uh, discussion in on the tweets because I think it was discussed by I forgot his name, but it was the thread was talking about how like yeah like we literally email each other and say hey is uh is Captain Marvel like free for a play date with this certain villain on this date. And it's almost like you're trying to like match make them and you get like weird queer matchups. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. But it was a little bit, but it was in the back of my mind. It's a little bit too long. And then I was speaking with uh, a friend, uh, Kim Chi Lai, who is a great accomplished poet. Uh, everybody, please look her up. I'm going to plug her Twitter in. It's called Do You Want the Kiss, which is a really cute Twitter name. 
and we were we were talking about pride we were talking about you know queer people and stuff and uh she asked me like you know like have you ever made micro games about you know about queerness and i was like i sort of I, I was i just like my brain just went into galaxy mode and it just pulled from the depths of somewhere in the back and it was like yeah a year ago you had this idea right like toss it out there in five minutes i wrote it out on uh, telegram to her and i wrote uh together uh to play hold your partner's hand uh when when you blush you lose uh to st- uh and then if you if you look at your partner and say a compliment you stay in the game uh, and it just says and when you want to and uh kimchi's first reaction was just what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just came so suddenly it just hit her so hard and I was like oh this is actually really like now yeah. that I think about it it's actually a really good game like this sounds really good yeah it sounds uh, very fun actually yeah. it sounds so fun honestly like I think I think a part of it is just it's so spontaneous and the five minutes of thought I put into it was uh, it was rooted in I don't know I just I just connected suddenly very deeply with like uh, I it was like a flash of just emotions and images in my head of especially this year with my relationships with people and i was and i was like yeah like this is like you know this is a great game and i kept on thinking about it when i posted it. it's like yeah there's like a lot of elements here that are unread you know the idea that you can the idea of like intimacy the idea that you're you know looking your partner in the eyes the idea that it's a very innocent kind of moment right and i think initially i i kind of thought like it doesn't like i'm not saying it didn't felt queer but the context could equally be taken into a straight context you know the idea that you're holding a friend's hand and it's like you know it's like one of those like sappy heteronormative romance rom-coms where you're like oh i touch my crush's hand and i look back at her uh blah blah but i think it's the idea that you start by holding your partner's hand that feels very queer because uh when i thought about like I was I was exploring queerness for Pride Month and I was like, you know, like, you know, what should I explore? Like, should I explore the Stonewall riots? Should I explore the idea that in the diaspora or like in the SEA, we're very distanced from, you know, the Stonewall riots and as a result, Pride Month in general. Should I explore the corporatization of Pride Month by several corporates and like make a cyberpunk game? Like lots of things in my head were complex ideas. But when I look at Together Apart, it just feels so right because, you know, it just avoided all that complex stuff right all that background noise all that chaos and it just was like hey like can we just focus on like being nice and soft and like appreciating this one moment like it's it's such a it's so good honestly like i like i know it's a game i made but it feels like it's something that's connected to something bigger and i'm just like oh my god i love this so much yeah 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 it does and and you're right it just has this like ineffable queerness to it where it's like I, like I guess heterosexual people could play this, but and I, th- that'd be fine. But there's something about like this recentering on like what what is the actual thing that we're trying to like celebrate and and protect from you know being gobbled up by corporatization you know garbage and all of the all of the stuff that we have to ha- like have conversations around when it comes to pride and defend and all the stuff. What wait? What is that actual thing? That thing is like holding, holding the hand and getting a blush. Like yeah, just, that's just, what it is. Just holding, just holding <laughs> hands and being nice, and you know, forget, forgetting that there's all this like fucking bullshit noise in the back where there's like you know people just fucking you up. Like yeah, like you know that one moment, right? Like I, 
God, I felt honestly when I was writing that on the computer where I was like laying it up, I was like, God, I want to cry right now. I felt I felt <laughs> so goddamn soft. I was like yeah. in my damn seat when I was writing together. I was like, oh, this is so goddamn nice. And it's, and it's like what? Like 20 something words? I was like, oh, this is so damn good. I feel so goddamn gay right now. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just so good. You know, like there's like when I look at my relationship this year, especially with queer people, there is this element of like vulnerability or and like tenderness that you don't get with you know like straight people honestly you don't uh and like it's so it's just such a rare quality to find relationships the ability to be like you know like just sit together in like a place like wherever and just like lock out everything else and be like and just be like oh you're really pretty like it's so it's so goddamn queer like it's so good yeah yeah oh tenderness like, it, it makes, it tenderness wanna, yeah it makes you want to giggle like that, i think that's such a big part of it like it just makes you want to like laugh and cry it's like it's so nice you know <laughs> yeah. and that's and that is like that it's it's a weird like power trip when you make a game like that because God, in the same yes. way, you kind of just like tricked people into making a sandwich and you're like <laughs> they were I made this game but uh, people are just making a sandwich for you know because of me it's so funny um, but also like you just like you get people and you know that when other people are gonna read this and play this that they're gonna have that little like kind of butterfly in the stomach feeling and you're like I did that. That was me. Yeah, it, it just makes you go like, <laughs> God, yes, oh hell yeah! Uh, like when I made when I made Savage County, I had like a similar thing, <laughs> where like I I made the game in two hours because I was like you know running up and trying to finish up cozy game jam, and it was the same thing. I had like all these complex ideas. I was like, like I don't think people realized when I was making Savage County what went through my head. I was like, is it really ethical to make a game for a cozy game jam where it relies on you using resources not afforded to people who are say homeless and in poverty? Because a piece of bread is actually kind of expensive to get and then you have to get peanut butter and you have to get a freaking knife to put it on and i was like oh this is actually really sad i think about it. i do it fits and i just wrote it like really quickly it took me an hour to make the rhyme and an hour to write the system and i kind of just like i finished it i was like okay cool i'm done i submitted it the word doc is there i'm it's like nine o'clock and i'm like what do i do now and i was like i guess i'll play the game i'll make a sandwich i guess i'll just eat a supper sandwich so i made like a peanut butter peanut butter banana sandwich and I ate it and I thought and I wrote down the story and I just like looked at it I was like oh my fucking god my heart oh it feels so good right now oh my gosh it's so soft and it's it's like the same feeling where you're just like hell yeah but I think together and apart has a quality that like sandwich county doesn't quite touch which is something that's innately so much more human I feel like that's that's why that's why like whenever I look at a game, it feels like yes, I wrote it, but it feels like it came from somewhere that wasn't me at the same time. You know, like it's like it's not just me in it; it's like a lot of other people in it. It feels like either like I was drawing upon the relations I had, or I was drawing upon the queer community, or I was drawing upon like you know like seeing other people's experiences. Right, like on pride you see so many pictures of people who just celebrate their partners like you know like especially like just women like wlw photos of just like <laughs> two wives holding each other it's like it's so empowering you see that you're like fuck yeah like your wives oh my fucking god yes 
like and you're both dressed so goddamn fine and you're yeah. like just like fucking you're just burning your goddamn phone screen off and i'm just there, like oh my god yes like i am here for this right uh it, it sort of has that feeling as well where you're like yeah like i, I like, don't fucking matter like you know that people you know don't want us to love each other that there are governments like fucking us up like like for one moment you can forget about that and just be like fuck yeah you know there are people out there who are like me who love other people you know and it's yeah it's 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 a it's, it's a great feeling yeah and be like actually this rules and is very good mm. haha nice haha yeah i'm gay <laughs> <laughs> i'm so gay i'm yeah. so gay right now <laughs> God, yeah, like, 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 I, I don't think I connected with the because I've always said I'm bise- I'm bisexual, or like, 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 I, I'll always make uh memes. Where I'm like, I'm bisexual. I'm a moron. Like, you know, like, like, it's that kind of thing you say to friends. Yeah, yeah, the bi disaster trope. Yeah, yeah, bi disaster trope. And I've always identified with the word bi a little bit less with the word queer, definitely way less with the word uh gay because it has connotations where it's like, yeah, like you know, like women love women or men love men those kind of connotations but i feel like right after writing this game i felt so much more comfortable using the words <laughs> queer and gay because it just feels so right yeah like it really like it really captures the essence of like oh my god i feel so goddamn gay right now give me a moment like, <laughs> like, oh I need, I need my heart rate to go down just a little bit more before i write the rest of this game i'm calling into gay to work i can't god, yeah. <laughs> guys i can't come into I'm way i'm way too gay <laughs> <laughs> got, an M- uh, got an MC that proves it. Got a certificate right here. And yep, the doctor just wrote two gay. To it. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Like I am, I am like, I am like warming up, just like thinking about the game itself. It's I so know. Good. Yeah, me too. I have it. I have it open yeah. here. Yeah. I, I. That's funny. And I thought I was going to ask you about other games, but then that I happen to have that up in my screen. I'm like, damn, I feel good about that though. But yeah. one thing. I told myself I was going to ask you, and this is this is of great interest to me because hmm. it's something that I truly do not understand, and I feel like you understand hmm. it. Um, we got to talk about the sword dream. Uh, so uh, forward, I'm going to say it right now. I don't understand it either. Damn it. Nobody understands it though, right? Like that's I a thing think, about it. I I don't think people understand. Uh, what sword dream is that you you're not supposed to understand it? I keep on saying this so much on Twitter. It's like the cool thing about sword dream is that like the the cool the coolest thing about sword dream is that there is no set sword dream. There's no canon. Nobody knows what the hell sword dream is. You know what I mean? It it's just a label that people came up with. There are some core principles to it. That's like yeah, like you know, it's it's uh to, well, this is my perspective. It's that sword dream is a uh, kind of like rising community of game developers who were like, you know, uh, it came off, it came from a lot of sources. There were in jokes about, yeah, like what if people left OSR and formed like a renaissance uh, of the renaissance, right? Because OSR has been around so long. You can't call, like, I'm just going to be honest with everybody here right now. Please stop calling it the old school renaissance when the renaissance has been going on for like, what, 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> not old school renaissance anymore. it's just old school 2.0 like people were like like i saw i saw i saw so many uh i'm not gonna mention them but i saw a lot of like uh bigots and people who just didn't get it saying like oh it's like osr 2.0 just like atheism 2.0 so it would never work. i'm just like look you you are osr 2.0 like you're just dnd you're just dnd second edition 3.0 like what do you mean like do you not see the irony of you saying this do you not see the irony of you mocking 
of you trying to mock a rising community, trying to form a renaissance of game design for themselves, trying to find a game design community for themselves, trying to experiment when you are literally the same history. I was like, I was just there going like, why would you? Why are you criticizing the very same thing you used to be twenty years ago? Like, and I and then I was like, and then I just went like, oh yeah, it's because you're old people, I guess. <laughs> it's such an old person. It's such a. It's such a. It's such a like a. It's not. It's such a not an old person like not not ages but like, like a boomer thing like a very age like a very carp like a crumbridge crumbridge thing where it's like, ah uh, yes these young people trying to come in and you know shake up the industry will never work. It's like impressionist versus uh mm, impressionist versus I forgot what yeah. yeah new yeah you know it's the same thing. It's the same thing where they were like, huh, these fancy artists coming in trying to revolutionize and paint what? Beach sides with brush strokes and, you know, wide open galleries. It will never work. They're going to die just like Neo Neo classism. And I was just like, God, this is so silly. This this whole criticism is so silly because it just shows like such a lack of self-awareness. And like, if you don't realize what the OSR is, do you even deserve to speak for the OSR or to, you know, like say you speak for the OSR? Because I, because, you know, a point of it was that everybody was saying, oh, nobody speaks for the OSR. Well, it definitely looks like you're speaking for the OSR <laughs> right now, you know? Yeah, just a tangent of me complaining. This, uh, is, this is the saltiest episode of Backstory ever. And I, I could not God, be more so, thrilled. Uh, just got to say. I, I, re- I, I realized that like a lot of, a lot of me in podcasts at, at, at the tail end of it is me just being salty. About a very specific thing, uh, yeah. But uh, Sword Dream kind of rose uh out of uh according to Trebuchet Ops, who kind of started it also along with Nate Trem from Highland Paranormal Society. Look them up; they are amazing people. Uh, it was a lot of in jokes about you know why we made a Renaissance of the Renaissance, and then discussions of like you know like there have been very a lot of recent you know uh, shakings in the OSR community where abusers were exposed. Uh, lots it harbors uh it doesn't har I don't think it harbors on purpose, but it certainly facilitates and encourages the uh festering of like some personalities that should not be mentioned. People who in general are just like, you know, very encouraging of really bad things. And, you know, uh, we had the recent incident at UKGE where, you know, like uh we had a GM who encouraged like a na- rate narrative without, you know, consent blah. And then there were pe- people who claimed to be part of the OSR who defend the OSR. Which it doesn't even need defending. It's such an old thing. It literally doesn't need defending. Who you know came to defend this personality who ran the game at UKG. It was a, it was a lot of context, a lot of different different things. But uh, general people were like, "Hey, we sort of wanna," like people were like, "Hey, like you know, like we joked about this being Sword Dream, but I feel like it actually has actual appeal." And then people were like, "Yeah, like it does have actual appeal." As a person who wasn't there for the in joke, people would come in and be like, "Yeah, like I I do kind of am curious about the Sword Dream thing, like because it because it looked." Because it was an in-joke, but it was an in-joke by people who were really good artists and really good writers. So it just seems so compelling, you know? Don't, don't, like, like if, if there's anything Twitter has taught me, do not make, do not make jokes about ideas. Don't joke about your ideas. If you joke about it, Twitter's going to come in and be like, hey, that's a great idea. Can you make it real? It's true, actually. It's 100% true. Yeah. No jokes don't, on Twitter, TBH. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. The, <laughs> like, J- Japanese social media has mastered this. They know what April Fool's is for. April Fool's for them is just to make ridiculous product ideas they'll never deliver because they know it will make people sad. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work the same for people who's not in Japan, by the way. Like, for people who's not in Japan, everyone expects you to actually make it. They'll be like, oh, clearly this isn't a joke. Clearly this is a great idea you're going to have to make. Haha, please go suffer. Uh, 
Yeah, no, it just happened. So people were like, yeah, like Sword Dream sounds so cool. Like, and then people like you and me, people started asking, what is Sword Dream? Like everybody, like you go to the Sword Dream tag, everyone's going to be like, what is the Sword Dream thing? Everyone just keeps asking the same damn thing. And 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 the answer is that, you know, like there there is, uh, there is and there is no Sword Dream at the same time. Uh, you know, Sword Dream as a hashtag exists. Sword Dream as a group of community that came under the hashtag exists. Sword Dream as people who believe in the idea of a Sword Dream exists. Uh, but at the same time, there is no Sword Dream, as in there's no one unified Sword Dream. There's no such thing as the same Sword Dream. No one's doing the same thing. There's no franchise. There's no system. There's no same thing. It's, it's very... And I think that kind of weirded people out because they were like oh this is like osr renaissance and yes but also no because some people came in and they were like i'm not attracted to the idea of osr like i'm i'm personal i'm personally a designer who doesn't do osr a lot i can i don't uh and i came in because i because a uh my tag is very swords and flowers so i was like oh my gosh this is this is the perfect opportunity it just looks it's just so good it's perfect and and I have friends who are like Sword Queen Games. J- uh, Jamila is Sword Queen Games, and it was like, and we were like, oh my god, this works so well. Uh, and then Sword Prince Games, who is Maria Wilson, Sword Peddler, who is Sword Peddler, who is Cecile, who makes Tone of Cold, and and then there's Swords Fall, and so it was just like, okay, uh, this is this is a huge coincidence, but we'll ride with it, I guess, and it and it matches up with the things we want to do, right? Like the. Uh, they came. There were. The, I think the only basic thing so far is the nine core principles, the nine core tenets that were kind of set out by some people in the Sword Dream community. And even they say it's not canon. The nine principles are not canon. It's just something that people should consider. Uh, the nine principles run along the lines of you know like we will not do you know abuse at the table. We want you know a place that's more open, more forgiving, more inclusive. But at the same time, that mean that doesn't mean we give up the autonomy to you know uh, be able to. I don't want to say police because cops are bad uh, to to be able to have authority to uh, not control, but to be able to nurture a better kind of garden for ourselves, a better sword dream, a better sword dream community. You know, we have we maintain control of our own communities uh, and people are like, yeah, heck yeah, I love this. And when so the way I like, I don't <laughs> like people keep on going like, do you know what sword dream is? And I'll just be like, here's a tread. And people take that as, ah, yes, Ben certainly knows what the sword dream is because he linked me to a tread that's kind of great. I'm just like, look, man, all I did was cite, cite a reference to you that I think is kind of nice. It doesn't mean I'm an expert. Uh, I'm, I'm an expert as much as Wikipedia is. Uh, and my... Yeah, my contribution was basically just trying to realign the perspective and say, look, it's not about what is Sword Dream. Like, there is no such thing as the one Sword Dream. It's more like, what is your Sword Dream, right? Like, what do you uh, want to make a renaissance out of? Like, what is it that you want to change in your design? What are you trying to reflect upon? What are you trying to, you know, bring into the Sword Dream? Like, what are you trying to offer and what do you want for yourselves? So we had... So like you see some really cool and when you look at it from that perspective, you start seeing the sword dream a lot more a lot more a lot more a lot more obviously, I guess, a lot more uh, evident to yourself. Because you start seeing people in the sword dream tag, you're not talking about, you know, this is what sword dream is. It's not the same as the OSR is a movement of people trying to make system agnostic games that follow the same kind of guideline and framework based upon D D two point and D D three point right? Uh, so everything hacks together, everything slots in. It's not that. Sword Dream doesn't have that. Sword Dream is a, a huge group of people who are trying to figure out for themselves, what can I do to create a second wave within my design? What can I do to create a second wave within the OSR? 
and what does that even mean for you know what does a second wave really mean so when you do that you start seeing people like uh jamila from sword queen games she talks about i want to make games that are more feminist i want to make more games that are softer that's my sword dream i want to make games that confront certain topics more uh kazumi chin who wrote i think uh a poetry book about godzilla <laughs> it was really really cool uh he he talked about how i want to you know my sword dream is to explore the concepts of violence uh feminist violence uh how violence is both uh, a tool of empowerment and a tool of authority and a tool of oppression, right? Because violence is important in revolutions and, you know, keeping us safe, right? The idea of violence being a safe tool is something that doesn't get explored. And then for me, myself, I, I say it already on Twitter, my sword dream is that I want to, I've always, I've already done this since the beginning. I want to make games and explore the concepts of intimacy, conversation, connection, relationships, and, you know, everyday magic. And then my sword dream is also, what does that mean for myself? Like, what does magic mean? What does relationship mean? What does it mean when I make a game like Together Apart? Because I definitely did not, you know, 100% nail what I felt about Together Apart until it was released. And I went like, oh my God, I feel gay as hell. Uh, right? There's, there's like, you know, there's a lot of feelings in there. And yeah, Sword Dream, if, if I want to best describe it, Sword Dream is just a huge group of people trying to figure out for themselves how they can do better and what does it mean to do better? Like, what does it mean to change for the better? What is change? It's a lot of questioning yourself. And I think it's because of this kind of like conversation flow. Everybody gets very confused because, you know, you can walk into a lecture and on economics and be like, ah, yes, this is an economics lecture. But if you walked into like a study group where everybody was just riffing off each other and trying to ask, and they just ask questions to each other, you know, like a Vienna circle. I don't want to, I don't want to hype up Sigmund Freud. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like, like if you walked into like a random Vienna circle, right, where everybody was sort of just like, like a person sat down and you walked into a room and someone was just like, what is a hot dog? And you're just like, oh my God, what the hell are they talking about? Like, I want in on this. And then you kind of walk in and it's like, well, so yeah, like what is a hot dog? And they just respond, yeah, what is a hot dog? And you're like, I don't understand. I'm trying to get an answer for you, but you're just giving me more questions. Mm -hmm. Because you walked into without context that there's a conversation about questions. You're supposed to ask each other things. So people kind of get confused and you're like, what is Sword Dream? And someone just asks, like, someone will just fire back, yeah, what is Sword Dream? And everyone's just like, eh? <laughs> <Duh>? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've been seeing that pattern a lot, but it's kind of settling down because there's a few established threads now that people can go to to like get their knowledge. So Trebuchet Ops, uh, Twitter, Trebuchet Ops, uh, I forgot their real name, I'm so sorry. Uh, they, they, they have probably one of the uh, best threads out there to talk about it. Cool. So everyone has to think of what their sword dream is, knowing that their sword dream will change and that their sword dream itself is probably more questions. Yeah, I I think I think it's a I think it's sort of a nice way of like uh putting into kind of like reality what it looks like when the game dev has to look at themselves. But again, that's my perspective as well, right? I'm going to be thinking about that. I'm going to be thinking about the sword dream and I I'm now more at peace with my lack of understanding it. And the fact that I don't understand it makes more sense now. You know, um you you talked a lot about um, about the gaming scene in Malaysia and the gaming scene in like across Southeast Asia right now, in in your interview uh, on Asians Represent, and like I said, I think everyone should go listen to that. It was extremely good. But can I say how glad I am that you know in that interview you talked so much about people who had inspired you and people who had mentored you and lifted you up and supported you, 
And I am so glad that I achieved my goal in this interview of getting you to talk about your shit and getting really, really hyped on what you are doing. Yeah, I, 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 I was gonna say, I was gonna say in my brain, I was like, huh, I'm talking about myself a lot more in this one this time. Yeah, yeah, I, I win. I got it. I got, oh, cool. I got my, my bit. Cool. I feel great. Cool, uh, <laughs> Daniel. If you're hearing this, uh, we still love you. We still, we, we really love you, man. <laughs> Please. <laughs> God, Daniel's just gonna appear in Big Mac Con and like hunt, hunt, hunt all of us down and just be like, "What do you say?" Yeah, it's true. Daniel's much stronger than me. He's oh, he's no. in very good shape. Very yeah. very healthy young man. Yeah. I should not be intimidating <laughs> the other people on the one shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, this interview is over. We're getting silly. We're getting mm. far too silly. Mm. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mm. Uh, it's been extremely good to have you and just get to chat with you a little bit. Um, I, you know, I always ask where should my listeners find you? I know the, the, the answer is Twitter, but you know, more broadly, if my listeners want to keep up with what you're up to, uh, where should they go? Uh, yeah. If you'd like to find me, uh, number one, please buy my games. Give me money. I'm an Asian. I'm a Southeast Asian, uh, but you're all going to call me Asian nonetheless. Uh, yeah, just go to swords, uh, swords dash and a N D dash flowers dot itch dot io. That's where I saw all my games. You can view a lot of games there. They all pay what you want. Most of them. Uh, yeah, go check them out. If you're interested in Southeast Asian content, look up Noisy Colbert, which is like a sort of a short interactive story. Not a game, really a game. Some of them not a game jam. You can look it up. It's very Southeast Asian uh, about a very annoying bird that we all know about. Uh, you can look me up on Twitter, Swords M Flowers. The N is only the letter N, Swords N Flowers. If you look me up on Facebook, you'll find me as well. I have a WordPress that I rarely use, a YouTube I rarely use, so ignore those. Uh, yeah, if you if you like to find me, on uh, hashtags, you can look up RPG SEA, which is full of just Southeast Asian creators. It's really booming right now. We're talking about uh, maybe considering forming a Southeast Asian convention, uh, maybe this year or the next. So that's exciting. Uh, yeah, like we are. Oh God, it's so exciting. Ah, uh, yeah. You can also look up uh, RPG MY, Role Playing Games Malaysia, which is sort of the community I herald for. Them. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm so tempted to shout out other, other people right now. The temptation is so strong. It's, it's I like, know. Wow. It's like, wow. I know. I, that's what you do. You're a supporter. Yeah, I, I, You're a community I'm just, guy. I'm just going to do it nonetheless. Yeah, go on my Twitter. You can find all of them. Uh, look at RBGSCA. You'll find all of them anyways. Uh, Jamila from Sword Queen Games. Uh, Sword Prince Games. Mario Wilson. <laughs>。We're part of the One Shot Podcast Network, and you can go to oneshotpodcast.com to find more great shows like Asians Represent, which we talked about today. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join hosts Agatha Cheng and Daniel Kwong as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests, and occasionally argue with each other to the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. It's an extremely entertaining time. You will learn a lot. You will benefit a lot. And, and you'll like have a lot of fun. So pretty good podcast, IMO. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You. And you can hear more by searching UJICO on Spotify or YouTube or wherever else you get your chill beats. 
talk to you later, friends. Thank you.